Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. You can join us in the chat on uh, YouTube. Just search out Outkick there. Chad is chatting away. Chatting away. Busy chat. Got a lot of people with some mayo hate in the chat right now. These people don't know food. You're saying uh, mayo is not alpha, right? Oh, mayo's alpha. I love mayo. I, I, I just like Excess. the right amount of mayo, not, yeah. not too much mayo. Mayo is the perfect, uh, I was explaining this, but no one cared in the studio, by the way. I speak during the breaks, and no one, no one cares. Colin, care, Colin sort of got it, I think, uh, but was too busy looking up Notre Dame's basketball schedule against uh, <laughs> Auburn instead while I was talking. Um, mayo is the perfect accoutrement to the sandwich. It doesn't need to be the taste of the sandwich. Right. right. You don't it want adds, a mayo sandwich mayo with the side Mayo adds of to the flavor of the meat and I the cheese you. and the mustard. On the sandwich, but I don't want to just taste the mayo the mix, on the sandwich. Not the condiment. It adds. It doesn't replace a taste. So that that's what I need to get with mayo on the sandwich. And these Miracle Whip people, GTFO with Miracle Whip. It, it that is gross. Way too sweet. Um, I, I, there's something very unnatural about Miracle Whip to me when I taste it. My grandmother, Nana, RIP, great lady. She was a big Miracle yep. Whip person, and she put Miracle Whip on sandwiches she made for me. Hated it. Then when I finally got her to do to make mayo, on the, or put mayo on the sandwiches, way too much mayo. When I think about too much mayo, I think about my Nana, who did everything else right with me in my life, but the one thing she did that I did not approve of was put way too much mayo on sandwiches she made for me as a little boy. That's the one thing I didn't like, but... Over mayo, uh, those who know know what I'm talking about with this. Uh, you know what is Hutton doesn't eat, so he doesn't he doesn't quite comprehend what I'm saying. No, I don't like a bunch of mayo either. I'm with he you. eats root and seaweed, and you don't put mayo on either one of those things, so he doesn't know what Bird I'm talking seed about. Is what you used to say. Bird seed also, <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, just a different uh, quinoa. I yes. think Hutton's a quinoa. He can digest that. <laughs> Other than that, nothing else. I can't go that far. I can't go that far, Chad. Um, but you know what is uh, alpha and, and not it can help you with excess. Manscaped. Oh, that's right. Yes, it can help you with excess. Um, mayo can be a little bit spicy depending on the mayo you get. Maybe you're ready to spice up your Thanksgiving holiday. As we dive headfirst into the mountain of mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce, let's talk about that unsung hero of the holiday season: the Manscaped Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's time to go cold turkey on your old razor and take care of yourself this holiday season, this Thanksgiving season with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Visit manscaped.com and use code HOTMIKE for 20% off and free shipping and enjoy Thanksgiving in style with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOTMIKE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Spell that. And use the code HOTMIKE. I will spell it, Hutton. Thank you. H-O-T-M-I-C. That's all one word. There's no space there. There's no underscore. There's nothing in the middle of it. It's just H-O-T-M-I-C. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. And as always, your balls will thank you. I'm always uh, thankful for the hot seat season. 
across college football and the NFL because you get to see how coaches respond to criticism. You also get to see, you know, in pressure situations, guys are making millions. And a lot of them can't take the heat or the questions that are being thrown their way. I can't wait to see what Chip Kelly has to say uh, to the report that, well, the decision's already been made. It just, uh, it matters what he does this week uh, on whether or not he's going to finish out the season for UCLA or not. Chad, this is a, a, another version of we're not happy, we can be better, and we're going to move on, and we're going to jump in the pool and see who we can get that's more innovative and relates more to the, today's landscape of college football. It's crazy to me what Chip Kelly meant to Oregon versus what he's meant at any organization or program he's been at since and how that relationship hasn't been the same compared to what it was in Eugene. Well, and even, you know, this year, uh, fresh off a big recruiting win with Dante Moore, five-star freshman quarterback, playing well at one point and not not so well uh, as of late. But they're 18th, I think, in the country in mid-October. They just come off a win over Colorado. And then the wheels kind of fall off a little bit. They get upset by Arizona State, who's not very good with a first-year head coach. And now reports are Chip Kelly's out at UCLA. And I understand the thinking behind it. He's not been nearly as good as was expected when he took that job. It felt like, okay, back in the Pac-12, where he had so much success at Oregon, he's going to start to duplicate at least some of that success at UCLA. It never really worked out. But this step by UCLA, to me, shows a sign of more things to come with college football and, and coaches that may be in a place of some uncertainty moving forward, especially ones that have been there four, five, six years at their current job. I think you're going to see some more programs decide this is an, a, an area of change now with different teams, especially Big Ten, SEC, all the movement. Pac-12 is no more uh, for the most part, except for the two teams left. Big 12 also, all the change there. So ADs are going to look at it as a chance to reset going into something new. Chip Kelly isn't the first. He won't be the last coach to suffer this fate. I think Arkansas is going to make a change with Sam Pittman. Uh, we saw it with Mississippi State. Maybe Mississippi State also knows something we don't about who they can hire pretty quickly to come back maybe to Mississippi State to coach or someone else that's out there that wants that job that they know about where it's not going to be some long, drawn-out search. But even if it's going to be a coaching search, one thing you can always sell in college sports, especially when you got a new coach, is hope, is patience and hope. And you know an area where you need patience and hope is when your conference just got tougher or there's new teams to compete with. You want to be able to sell to your alumni base, to your fans, patience and hope. You only sell patience and hope when you've got a first-year head coach. So while we start to see this shift in college football, we've seen it, in recent years, the transfer portal and NIL, we've entered a new era. We see those that are handling it well and others that aren't handling it well. You're going to see more ADs now moving into this 2024 season of another change, college football playoff expansion. Conferences are going to look a lot different. Some TV contracts may look different. Suddenly you're going to see them want to do that with a brand new coach. Why? Because they can sell hope and patience, and that is very important UCLA wasn't going to be able to sell that 
with Chip Kelly coming back next year as they make the move to the Big Ten. I'm curious, though, if another program can sell that by hiring Chip Kelly. You know, UCLA can't sell that. Who can now? Depends on the program that gets him. Would it be a Mississippi State-type school? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. But like, It would be a lower-level Power 5 school, and that, that's the best-case scenario right but now. But where would we Chip, rank Chip UCLA in, in the level of Power 5 school for football? Right? Like, they're, to me, they're the forgotten team of the yeah, – forgotten program uh, of the four going to the Big Ten. To me, they're very mid. Yeah. They're very middle of the pack. I don't think they're bottom but of like, the Power 5, but I see it as a decent job, but – it's not, it's not USC. It's not a better job than what was the Pac-12. It's not gonna. It's gonna be a, a very middle of the pack to probably below Big Ten job. So I, just, I don't. I don't know how good it is. Bill Plaschke is is writing in the the LA Times. If if UCLA has any hope of being relevant in the Big Ten, Chip Kelly has to go. That was a column recently, and it to me, if UCLA is admitting that, if the if that's the sentiment there. How, why would, why would you bring that in? And then after the, what, six years or six years later, UCLA is, according to the media, they've gotten it wrong. Kelly's just not a fit. There's no innovation. There's no passion, excitement. That's what he was known for, though. And by and large, I think the majority of the fan base is if you hire Chip Kelly, you think about Oregon. You're not thinking about UCLA. And all the right things are going to be said. Because well, I, the, the I mantra, think... the mantra, is, you know, champions are made here, and the mantra or, or the the sentiment and the perception now uh, from columnists and fans is it's mediocre. And well, Chip Kelly, let me. Here's what UCLA needs to do: they need to find their Dan Lanning. They need to go find a 36 year old coordinator with a ton of energy and passion for recruiting. Chip Kelly has never been a recruiter. He's never wanted to. He hasn't liked it. It's not part of the game that he has ever embraced. And I do think part of the Chip Kelly problem and dilemma with any college program is he's not cut out for transfer portal, NIL, everything else in college football because he's never been a dynamic recruiter. Chip Kelly was ahead of the game for years, and he was an innovator. And then when the rest of college football started implementing things Chip Kelly was doing, he didn't have a curveball. He didn't go to another pitch. He still was doing the same thing he always was, and the rest of football caught up with him and started playing in a similar, similar way, and then he had no change-up to that. that. That's what ended up happening to Chip Kelly. But Hutton, I look at UCLA. I look at Mississippi State to some extent, but I do like the idea of Dan Mullen also. Yeah. I, Indiana, you know, they're, they're probably going to move on from Tom Allen there. Some of these jobs. Michigan State. Michigan State, a little bit higher level of a job, but not much when you look at them or UCLA. Indiana, Mississippi State are put in the same kind of category, right? Of, yeah, but, of, of like lower level of their conference jobs. Yeah, but is it? They it, need to go find. A th- they need to go find a Dan Lanning. But lower level is is he? Um, if if you end up with Chip Kelly at a different program, we're naming the top two. We're naming the the relevant conferences, and I'm curious if those relevant conferences go with a Chip Kelly now and sell that. I wouldn't. And I'm, I, I don't think the success. I, mean, I don't think you can. We've seen the track record now. It's, well, it's a trend. It's not just a bad fit, right? I just don't think you can sell it now. I think. Look, the game has. The guy still knows football. I'm not trying yeah. to act like you know he's he's forgotten everything. 
He, I'm not going to say the game has passed him by. The game caught up with him, and he didn't develop anything different. The game copied him. And then now you've got younger versions of Chip Kelly that also have a personality that can recruit players that have hired better staffs that aren't stuck in their ways at all, and they're better at being Chip Kelly than Chip Kelly. And I think that's what's changed with him. It's not that he's forgotten stuff or gotten worse as a tactician or a coach. It's that everyone else has gotten better around him. Um, that's the problem with Chip Kelly. I think Lanning is a great success story of even at a job as good as Oregon. They identified a young coordinator at a national championship winning program that was dynamic, that had a clear vision, that could communicate that vision, and is also just a really good football coach. And they they landed a pretty big fish in Dan Lanning, which at the time you're thinking, well, maybe he's good, maybe he's not. He's a coordinator. He's never been a head coach. Who knows? I'm looking at Indiana, Mississippi State, maybe even UCLA, Michigan State. And I I do think, Hutton, they can go get a current head coach somewhere at those jobs. But I still look at those jobs and think, I I would be looking for that next landing. I I know there's going to be group of five head coaches you could target. There may be even a a recently fired coach. That's an option for you. But I would look for that that guy also. That's key for some of these jobs. You're looking for the Deion Sanders version. You know, speaking of landing, landing, Colorado getting uh, and having the, the the sense to hire Deion Sanders uh, has been great for the perception of where he's taking this program in year one. And I, I've said throughout the the entire offseason until right now, he's saying a, a, it's rare that I see Deion saying something that I disagree with or being saying like he's he's not hitting the right tone or sentiment or he's got it totally wrong so the the theft that took place whenever uh, Colorado played UCLA um, out in California turns out they're uh, UCLA what recruits high schoolers and they'll be punished you know they're wearing the you've got uh, criticism of the uh, Colorado players wearing jewelry into the locker room or whatever and leaving it there Dion uh, yesterday sends again the, the right tone here. Quote, let's not crucify and punish these high school kids. Whatever the punishment that comes along with it, let it be that. Community service, whatever it is, but let's not abort the rest of their opportunities, their lives, because of this mistake. They're kids. They made a stupid, dumb, idiotic mistake. Guess what? When I was 17, 18, so did I, so did you. I'm praying for those kids. Uh, this was the same sentiment whenever... We saw what happened to uh, Travis Hunter earlier this year on the hit. And for all the boasting and the chest out and saying, look at us, if you've doubted us, do you believe? I believe that he's hitting uh, the right message and sending the right message through the questions that he's asked, uh, including whenever he's asked about Texas A&M. And I'll, I'll admit I'm a bit surprised by it because it's been a lot of boasting and, hey, you guys forgot about us or you wrote us off uh, looking at Ed Werder acting like he writes the columns that said that they were over under two wins in 2023 or whatever the the, the Vegas line was. Uh, in this case, he's saying, hey, uh, we're not making excuses. They made a mistake. We're not looking for further punishment. Let the legal things play out and we're going to move on. And he also said, for those criticizing the players for wearing jewelry in the locker room, uh, if your car is burglarized why are you driving someplace where someone's taking things out of your car it was 
I thought uh, very uh, a common sense approach from Dion in this case. He was very cool about it and, and said a lot of good things. One of my first thoughts about this was how good are these recruits and is Deion Sanders also recruiting them? <laughs> Maybe. And what a hell of a story, though, if, if two of these kids end up going to Colorado and being model citizens uh, in Boulder for Deion Sanders playing for him after having robbed Deion's team on a recruiting trip to UCLA. Like that, is it, but look, that is if he's people recruiting might high school that, kids, that's uh, very rare. To, to spit in the face of Jim Harbaugh, but here, that's an American story. That's yeah. a story of overcoming. These are guys who were committing crimes, uh, as stealing jewelry out of a locker room on a recruiting visit to UCLA that Dion then accepted, took into his program, and transformed them into not just great football players, but you know guys who don't steal things out of locker rooms. That's a pretty cool story. Sign me up right. for that one. Yep, agree. So I, I don't know anything about the guys who actually did it, but I'd like to know what their star rating was and whether or not Dion wants them as players. And if he, oh, maybe he wants them in the transfer portal later. That's well, remember he talked about guys who had to fight for a meal yeah. that you wanted certain positions. Certain positions. Hey, Clay could, Travis could be some of these kids. He joins us next. We'll discuss the possible injunction that's coming for Harbaugh. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Coming at you live from 6th and Peabody with Yaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network with the founder of Outkick. Clay Travis joins us. Clay, hope things are well. And um, have you paid your $39.75 that you uh that you owed the IRS in federal income tax return? <laughs> I have. I sent wow. a check in to cover my full uh, full bill according to uh, our esteemed uh, IRS tax scholars. I paid over $10 million in tax the past two years, um, and they said that I owe $39.75. So I have no idea uh, where that calculation came from or how I made I don't know what the percentage is when you pay over ten million in taxes, and they decide that you owe thirty nine point you know seventy five cents. I would guess that's like the ninety nine point nine nine percentile. Um, but this is your tax uh, dollars at work uh, investigating someone who is funding a huge part of the, the government relative to uh, relative to what most people pay. So uh, so yeah, I'm under the under the microscope from IRS perspective. 
I feel like I'm talking to a fine oil painting of Clay Travis in the middle of us oh, here. Yeah, this, this, beautiful. Uh, this photo. Beautiful I mean, it's, it's a work of art. I hang this thing in the Louvre. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel like Jimbo Fisher is going to have some taxes to pay uh, for a while now. $7.25 million a year for the next eight years. And that's on top of a lot of money coming before that with this buyout. Clay, are buyouts with coaches in college football, has it gotten completely out of control? Is there a way to wean athletic departments off of this, or is it just so far down this avenue that there's no doing a U-turn on it? Well, I mean, I think it's actually just evidence of how much a coach matters. Um, And there's only about, I don't know how many you could name, um, you know, if we sat down and we said, okay, how many college football coaches can you point to and say, that guy is really, really good, and no matter where he goes, he'll win at a high level? I think probably the answer is 10 or less. Um, and the reason why the Jimbo Fisher had the value that he did is because he had won a national championship at Florida state and Texas A&M bought into the idea that he would be able to do the same thing for them that he did for Florida state. Now the catch there was Jimbo never had a Jameis Winston caliber quarterback. That is a you know first round top of the first round caliber talent. And he did at FSU. And if you look at Jimbo Fisher's tenure at Florida State, there's the Jimbo uh, Fisher with Jameis Winston performance. And then there's the non-Jameis Winston performance. And there had been a pretty substantial drop-off. And I would guess uh, that Kellen Mond is probably the best quarterback that Jimbo Fisher had at, uh, at Texas A&M. And, uh, and that, uh, that is uh, when he had his most success. But by and large, he wasn't able to find a guy that would get him over the proverbial hub uh, to the next level. And so uh, now Texas A&M's back on the market trying to figure out whether there is a guy out there who can be uh, the uh, the proverbial difference maker for them. Clay Travis with us. Clay, I saw your, your uh, comments on X about uh, Washington State, Oregon State, and the, the interesting case law that can come from the ruling that they control uh, and have the power over, uh, negotiating power over the, the Pac-12 currently. What comes of this, and what do you make of the the millions that they could earn as a as a duo instead of the group that was a part of the have-nots? So once the teams decided, it used to be 12 teams, uh, and the Pac-12 obviously set the precedent when UCLA and USC announced they were leaving the conference, that they immediately rescinded their ability to vote on conference-related issues. And that makes sense, right? Like you wouldn't want two different teams out there that have abandoned the conference to be voting on the future of the conference. Well, Oregon, and I'm simplifying here, but Oregon State and Washington State essentially said, wait a minute, we've got eight other teams that have decided to leave the Pac-12. We want to follow the same precedent as we did for UCLA and USC. And so they're now saying there's only two members of the Pac-12 remaining and we should control the decisions that the conference makes going forward, potentially, including the distribution of hundreds of millions of dollars in, uh, in payments and maybe also the, uh, the assets that the Pac-12 would have going forward. And, uh, and I would suspect that this is going to end in a pretty lucrative settlement being paid by the schools that are all leaving the Pac-12 uh, to the two schools that are remaining. Clay, uh, with Michigan and what comes on Friday with this hearing, 
on a, a possible temporary restraining order. Um, what what do you think happens here? And and do you believe the argument from Michigan will be, hey, we're, there's an ongoing investigation. You've punished us way too early based on what the NCAA is doing. And will the Big Ten uh, on Petiti's case say, hey, we're not punishing basic, based on the rule that the NCAA is investigating. We're punishing based on a policy of sportsmanship. Who wins and why? I think that Michigan should have won. Uh, if I were the judge that was reviewing this case, but Michigan didn't win before the Penn State game. And if you are, what Michigan is seeking is a temporary restraining order. So they want an injunction put in place by this judge to prohibit the Big Ten from enforcing its penalty against Jim Harbaugh. And in order to get that temporary restraining order, they have to show that there would be irreparable harm and that there's a likelihood that they're going to win this case on the merits later. To me, the irreparable harm standard is pretty easily met because if Jim Harbaugh is not able to coach on the sideline, that is a massively impactful outcome that can't ever be fixed. Once the game is played and he's not there, then the damage has been done. And so the harm has occurred. Uh, I think, though, once the judge allowed the Penn State game to be played without Jim Harbaugh involved in, in the game, it's hard to then say, oh, and now I'm going to find that there needs to be a TRO because there's already been a harm perpetrated upon Har Harbaugh and that he was not allowed to coach for that game against Penn State. Uh, so I think what's likely to happen is the Big Ten is going to win this ruling, and uh, then we'll see where Michigan appeals from there and, uh, and whether – there is any ability for Harbaugh. I think the chances of him coaching against Maryland are very slim, but the question would be, could he be back potentially for the big game against, uh, against Ohio state? If I were betting now, I would say he's not going to be back. Uh, but if I'd been betting to be fair before this TRO was officially filed, I would have bet on the Washtenaw County judge finding that there was in fact, a, uh, a need for an injunction and issuing a temporary restraining order. So I'm surprised she didn't, but the fact that she didn't makes it seem more likely than not that she is not going to take any action going forward. And we'll have to see who Michigan appeals to and how that works out. But I would bet that he will not be on the sideline for, uh, for the Maryland game. And Clay, how much do you believe Petiti will end up regretting doing this in the moment that he's done it? Well, I, I think one of the problems is when you get caught in the frenzy of the immediate emotions of a moment, oftentimes you make a poor decision going forward. And that's where, at its most basic degree, what you're paying somebody to be the Big Ten commissioner for is not to go out and grip and grin at men's diving competitions or make sure that the field hockey feels respected by showing up for their championship games. Uh, it is to actually make the best interest in the decision of a conference, not only in the immediate moment, but for the years ahead. And what you have to be careful of is what the precedents are that you set. And I think based on my reading of not only the uh, decision in the suspension of Harbaugh, but also in the filings that the guys have made uh, in these court cases, I think that the Big Ten commissioner is making a uh, short-sighted decision designed to curry favor in the short term, but set a poor precedent going forward as it pertains to what penalties will look like.
Clay, I've gone from believing that the first three-game suspension, the first three games of the year for Harbaugh, I thought all this stuff with the NCAA, the headache with that, this is going to push him to taking an NFL job this offseason. Maybe it ends up being the Raiders or someone else. Now I've gone around that thinking all of this support of Harbaugh and all of this emotion and passion and how this has galvanized Michigan, I don't think he's going anywhere now. I think he's going to be loyal to the people that have been loyal to him through all of this. What, what do you think about what's next for Jim Harbaugh and the chances of him jumping in an NFL job after the season? Well, one, I, I think there's an argument to be made, and, and I wondered whether Michigan would even file the, uh, the appeal, and I think they wanted to preserve a record and act like they're upset. I think there's an argument you can make that in suspending Harbaugh for three games, this may not be the worst thing for Michigan because in the event that the suspension stays in effect, Michigan can argue that they've already been punished for this incident when the NCAA tries to take their bite of the apple or the Big Ten looks at it down the road. In other words, they can say this, which is, I think, a fairly inconsequential punishment. Um, you know, it, I don't. I think it actually, you could argue, benefits Michigan because it fires them up and they're going to play harder. But in the meantime, all of the work of putting the game plan in place for the game has already taken place. So there is no uh, major decisions that has to be made. I know you have to decide to go for it on fourth down or not or whatever those scenarios are, but you can almost talk through them in the week. But putting in the game plan, there's a rally around the coach effect. And so I wonder whether in the long run, Michigan's going to look at this and say, you know what? It's actually beneficial to us because we got a relatively inconsequential punishment if they beat Maryland, which I think they will Saturday, and then they beat Ohio State, which I think they will the Saturday after. Uh, then you have the incredible moment where Jim Harbaugh could be presented with the Big Ten trophy by Tony Patetti, and there's already been a rendering of a judgment based on this incident. And so Michigan can then argue in the event that any other future punishment tries to come, wait a minute, we've already served our punishment for this. Um, and, uh, and there may not have been much of a consequence going forward. Clay, I'm amazed at the amount of silence from the Las Vegas Aces and the WNBA since you posed the challenge to them with a high school boys state championship team playing them in a game after the initial chirping. Um, Two-part question. Do you think that the Las Vegas Aces organization or the WNBA has placed a gag order on their players to not respond to you on social media and not talk about this at all? And two, would this hypothetical game between a high school boys state championship team and the WNBA champion be the most watched WNBA event of all time? First part, remember, I didn't start this. Uh, I gave my opinion back in, I think it was February, that a boys high school team would beat the WNBA champs, boys high school state champ of, you know, I think I said like of most states, uh, you know, I was, there are probably some small states, Wyoming, Rhode Island, where the teams aren't that great. I'm not trying to cast dispersion on state championship teams in Wyoming or Rhode Island, but just the bigger the population of a state is, the higher the quality in general of the basketball teams would likely be in that state. Cause there's just more kids to pick from. Um, so, you know, the state champion of California or Texas or Florida would most often beat the state champion of, uh, I, I don't know, Missouri, right. That would be my general yeah. guess. Okay. 
So, uh, so Chelsea, I think her name's Chelsea Gray. I don't know who she is, but she called me a dumbass for that opinion. And look, I mean, people are entitled to think I'm a dumbass for any number of opinions I share. That's certainly part of the marketplace of ideas. Call me whatever. Uh, but you responded with a challenge to that, right? Yeah, but I responded. I literally put my money where my mouth is, and I said, "I'll give you a million dollars if you can beat the team that uh, that I pick." And I'm not even taking any money. I said, "I'll give the million dollars in the event that I win. I'll give the million dollars that WNBA team uh, is paying to me." to all those boys that are on the team. Like I'm not even, I'm, I'm betting money without actually getting any payoff. Uh, and then another group bet online came forward and said, Hey, we'll even pay the million dollars for the WNBA team. So they have no risk at all. All they have to do is win the game and they get a million dollars and they don't lose anything if they lose. And they still haven't responded. So I think the boys team would obliterate them. That's my opinion. And I suspect that the reason they're not saying anything back is because I painted them into a corner and they, they secretly recognize that I am correct and that they would get dominated in a game of this magnitude. And yes, if it happened, it would be the most watched WNBA game of all time. I have zero doubt this would be a social media phenomenon. This would be a message board extravaganza. Everybody who uh, is in some way interested in women's basketball, men's basketball, and the idea of, hey, a boy who decides to be a girl can become a women's champion, which is part of what prompted this discussion in the first place, I think would tune in. I think it should be pay-per-view, and I think we should charge thirty-nine seventy-five, which is what the IRS is charging Clay <laughs> that's, uh, in that's order to tune in. Very symbolic. Yes, with that rate. I think I think if we put it on pay-per-view, we would make tens of millions of dollars <laughs> from people uh-huh. who would pay to watch this game. Battle the sexes, part two. Clay, Clay thanks so much, thank man. You, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate y'all. Thanks a lot. There's Clay Travis coming up. Mark Harris of Outkick.com. PGA Tour in financial trouble. What's next? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sixth and Peabody are located with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton with her rolls on. Coming up, we discuss hot seats in the Power Five and discuss who's next in the SEC after we've seen two coaches already uh, been told to leave. Giving some buyouts along the way. You think they were asked to leave or told to leave? Told. We'd like for you to leave now and get your stuff out of your office within the next two days. Yeah. Or do they come in and say, now leave this moment. Get out of here. Coach, uh, it didn't matter what was going to happen yesterday in the game. Win or lose, we'd already decided you were out. Our accountant will be in touch about your $7.25 million annual payment that we'll be divvying out to you from here on out, Jimbo. Uh, Speaking of payments and investors and other things. A lot of payments. Financially. 
PJ Tours, certainly in the middle of all that. Mark Harris has us covered at outkick.com with all of uh, the latest news with this. Uh, Mark, thank you for the time, man. Hope things are well. Appreciate it. I hope you guys are doing well, too. Yeah, man. Uh, So when are we going to learn about the potential investors that the PGA Tour is deciding on currently? Yeah, it's interesting. They send out that memo yesterday, um, and they have an outline saying outside investors. They've acknowledged them now twice in their last two uh, memos sent out to the, the players on tour. Um, the fact that they're acknowledging that is kind of a red flag, you could say. And then you have Rory McIlroy um, resign from his position on the board yesterday, one day after that memo was sent out, and they had their six to seven hour long meeting. Um, and I think it signals the Rory stepping down. I think it signals that one of two things could kind of play out here soon or later. Um, maybe they sat in that meeting and there's something inevitable happening with the Saudis that's going through sooner rather than later. And Rory's waving the white flag. He fought the fight against Liv and the PIF as long as possible. Now he's saying, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to go focus on golf. I haven't won a major in 10 years. I'd like to do that. And then the other thing is maybe he sat in that meeting and got sick of it and because there's no progress to be reported. Um, it's been over 160 days since Yasir and Jay Monahan sat on MSNBC and said, we've reached this framework agreement. And now not a lot of people noticed yesterday, but the language in that memo went from framework agreement to they're working on a definitive agreement, which I guess in business and legal talk, those are two different things, but that's kind of a new uh, wrinkle in this never ending wrinkle cycle. Rory's been the most vocal with this. And if he's not willing to sit on the player policy board, doesn't that mean whoever is there is going to see the same results and, and certainly see the results that favor whatever decision Monahan and others want to make instead of having to at least find some middle ground with the player that is sitting in that position for good reason? It's more than just optics. It's because he represents the other side of the argument. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be interesting because Tiger Woods and Patrick Cantley are kind of the two biggest names on that board. So they're going to have a, a say in that appointment and of the the new position that Rory just stepped down from. So it, it that's a good point you raised that they have to they have to pick the right guy for that. Um, now, like I said, it, it could be the point now where whoever goes, there's not really a say. And Rory kind of came to that conclusion that look, I can do this. I've done this for over a year now, officially in that position, and well before that unofficially, you know, carrying as much water for the tour as anybody imaginable. Um, And the difference between like the Rory and the Tigers of it, Rory's obviously the most influential in the world, not named Tiger, but Tiger isn't playing every week. He's not stepping in front of a mic every week. So Rory had to take the brunt of all the excuses, all the questions from every player on tour. Um, And he was, you know, Monaghan's right-hand man for the better part of 18 to 24 months. And then they sit on MSNBC and they, say this uh, framework agreement and he's the sacrificial lamb and those were his own words. So it's going to be, they're going to have to nitpick if they're still, you know, battling this, if there's still a majority that doesn't want to see this deal go through. But I think odds are that Rory stepping down may signal that it's closer to being done than not. And I think anybody can sort of uh, cold takes expose this deal and go back and play old clips of, of Rory and make him look dumb with the eventual merger and all that. But I feel like he really helped himself when this news uh, initially came down because he just came right out and said it. You mentioned, uh, Mark, the sacrificial lamb you know, comment. I feel like I'm the sacrificial lamb here that was told one thing and fought the good fight, and then the whole time there was something else going on. He even said, hey, in the end, money talks. 
They just decided that it was going to be a lot easier to not fight all of this money in court and everything else they're doing and instead let them join up, and that's what won the day. When we talk about legacy with Rory, is how he's handled this after the merger's been announced, is that going to be a big part in helping his legacy moving forward? I think it is. I actually published a column on Outkick about two hours ago, kind of touching on that, um, where right now, you know, this is the reality now. Like you said, reality six months ago, he handled himself one way, and now, and so did Jay Monahan, and now times have changed, and that's just how the world works. And Rory's kind of gotten out in front of that. Um, I think a lot of people at the at the jump of live were on top of Rory because he was just so adamantly against it. But now he's come to the realization like the Saudis' pockets are the deepest in the world. It is what it is. Um, and in heck, two weeks' time, no matter kind of what happens, nobody's gonna remember Rory stepped down from the policy boards. They're gonna they're gonna remember how many wins he has, what he's done in the majors. Um, and it's like I said, he has it. It's coming up on the decade long streak of him not winning a major. He last won a major at the 2014 PJ championship, which if you would have said he would only have four majors between now and then back then you would have been ridiculed. I mean, p- people would have taken that bet for millions of dollars. He just hasn't had it. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if he, that distraction that he had on the pol- the policy board, being on a member of that was a good thing because he actually did perform well in majors this year outside of Augusta. Uh, better than he has in a long time, actually. So it's going to be interesting to see if he thinks a little bit too much on golf um, this upcoming year around with for 120-some-odd days from the Masters. So if he slips on a green jacket, I think uh, nobody will uh, remember this day on November 15th when he's no longer on the board. Live sports have been you know streaming for a while, but we continue to monitor the biggest streamers and what they're doing to add sports and live sports to bring people there all at once. I'm curious about Netflix. I've seen clips from their live event. It looked entertaining. I love the full swing series. But when you look at Netflix, someone who's not really gotten into live events that much, but they're starting to dip their toes there. And they're really looking at golf as as an avenue to do that. If you saw it, Mark, what would you think about their live event? What would you think about full swing? And what do you make of Netflix possibly being a player with live golf? Yeah, I'm with I'm with you. I've I've seen clips. I did not tune in live. I, I might go back and watch kind of the replay, but I think they did do it right. Um, incorporating the F1. Obviously, that was the huge series they had. I think launched uh, the first season was maybe like peak COVID, and everybody had had to watch something. And they did just an unbelievable job with that. That now you have hundreds of thousands of F1 fans living in the states. You got races in Vegas and Austin and Miami. So they incorporated those those guys really really well, and they got big names to come over. Um, and do it. Justin Thomas, Max Homa, Tony Finau were all, and Ricky Fowler were all in it. Uh, Max Homa and Justin Thomas were in South Africa like three days ago. Max Homa won a tournament. He flies across the world to play in this thing. Um, yeah, I think Netflix, uh, like I said, I think they've just picked their their market really well. They're, I think they're two for two on their series, um, the full swing and the drive to survive thing, and then been doing the combo and kind of testing the live thing out. Um, like you said, it's, it's so tough to do the live sports thing, even on a stream thing where uh, everybody seemingly has Netflix. Um, just kind of the, you know, I think it's a, a good experiment. The experiment that they uh, kind of put together. Uh, we'll see. I guess if we get streaming numbers on that, kind of, kind of see if anybody was interested. But uh, definitely as a as a promo for uh, the next season of Full Swing and stuff, I think it was a uh, a wise decision on their part. You know, uh, Mark Harris with us, Outkick.com. Maybe this is just the common sense uh, thought process here, but. It, they're, PGA Tour and Monaghan, they're acknowledging outside investors, not Saudi, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. Any outside investor that's entering this would have Saudi backing and approval, though, because Saudi's running this, even if the perception is it's the PGA Tour, right? Yeah, you would imagine, and that's kind of the mystery. That's that's kind of the mystery that nobody seems to have the answer. Is they've they've acknowledged these outside invest investors twice now in memos to players that have you know been picked up by the media, um, and nobody knows if it is an add on to the Saudi investment. Um, if they're going to work hand in hand, obviously the Saudis' pockets are are deeper than the others. Or this is the PGA Tour saying like, hey, we got we got big money problems where maybe these investors, these you know a lot of these American investors, they're going to. You even have one called Friends of Golf, and nobody knows who it is. It just says influential individuals. They're all just going to pile their money together, like, "Hey, we can we can reach this level." Um, it's not going to be the Saudi level. The Saudis can keep upping it, upping it. But maybe Monahan says, "Hey, we've got this money," and we we cast the Saudis aside. But everybody has some kind of finger within the Saudi, um, you know, investment, uh, the PIF. So, yeah, it's it, if you if you take a deep dive into it, surely there's uh, got to be Saudi approval with with any of it for sure. Yeah, some way they're going to have that investment from Saudi yeah. in, and it either comes through the back door, which is through these these different investors or companies or whatever this is, or it's just the approval, and you have a you know a super PAC for lack of a better term of, of the money that's in a pool. Right, right. What, and what got us? To, the, what got us to this point financially with them? I, I don't. I don't know. That's kind of the the thing that's on everybody's mind. Is it's, you know, crazy tinfoil hat. It's almost like Monahan, you know, does this stuff with the Saudis, goes on TV and talks about it, and now he's like, hey, look, all these he's got these in, investors from all over the world and in America that want to want to get in on this. Look at us. We've got you know good problems to have. So who know? It's just so there's so many moving pieces from that regard from the investment. Um, there's no numbers attached, you know, the, the Saudi PIF, kind of the rumored highly reported numbers, like $2 billion that gets you a pretty big seat at the, uh, the table of professional golf. And I think another way to look at it too, is in today's media scape, you know, it's, it's been 160 days since June 6, when they made that announcement and they said, you know, we've agreed to this framework. So people respect Okay. Like, you know, I know there was golf tournaments still to be played, but it seemed like, you know, we just needed the I's dotted and the T's crossed. It has taken a long time, and I know it's reshaping the world of professional golf as we've always known it. But there, I think there's there is a point of taking too much time, especially in today's climate, to where the Saudis or other investors could be sick of it. And I know, gosh, I know for damn sure that uh, golf fans and reporters like me are sick of talking about money, and we just yeah. kind of want to focus on a little bit of golf here and there. Yeah. Well, let's see. let's let's. Uh, I got one one big golf question for you. Uh, we haven't mm-hmm. had a chance to talk to you since the Ryder Cup. We don't often talk about fallout from events, but uh, I haven't heard a lot about the fallout from what was just a disastrous performance by the Americans in that competition. Has there been fallout from what we saw? Not, not that I've really seen. I mean, I think there's, I think, interestingly, I think the Americans kind of spun it, at least American golf fans kind of spun it to where like, hey, maybe this Max Homa guy is pretty good. Um, he's been electric. He, like I said, he was playing in South Africa. He won. So I think, you know, the, the days after there was certainly fallout. I mean, it was a disaster as soon as the Americans got off the bus and around. I mean, it was just a bloodbath, um, which I did not expect it to be. I thought the Americans were going to finally break that 30 year streak and, and do something special over there. But now we get to wait another three and a half years before we get another chance on European soil. But yeah, I think the, the positive way to look at it is you had some guys kind of emerge and you had some guys that, most definitely did not. Um, Max Holmes was kind of the hot pick right now for having a big year. 
he's been a horrific in majors throughout his entire career. He self admits that every interview he does basically. So uh, we'll see if he can kind of turn that momentum into the Ryder cup. Obviously that gives you a ton of confidence. Uh, maybe he can uh, turn it into maybe not a major win, but it just, you know, being in the final couple pairings in a major hadn't, he hadn't checked that off his uh, list yet. Cause he's the dude's a dog. I mean, he's, he's great. So we'll see what, uh, what he cooks up this year. Check out Mark on social at it is Mark Harris, and you can uh, read his great work at outkick.com. Mark, thank you uh, for the uh, insight here and uh, solid uh, work on, on all of this at outkick. I appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. Yeah, man. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for joining us. There's Mark Harris there. Uh, always a great visit uh, with him. Chat, it can't beat him, join him. That's basically what Rory said about all of it. We're not going to fight this money forever, so let's let him, let's let him in. Yeah, but they, recently he's resigning. He's like, I'm honestly, no, I haven't enjoyed being on this council, you know, yeah. because I, I think the sentiment is it, they're going to do whatever they want to anyway. And right. They're being used yeah. as figureheads. I don't blame them one bit. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, the, the sentiment is now, uh, you know, we went from, oh, the players are competing against each other, the Masters, where you have the potential of, you, the potential, you have the the winner being a, a, a part of the, yeah, the live, live, golf. live golf, and it ends up being John Rahm. Uh, and now it's just kind of like, well, well, everybody's the same. Whoever wins is whatever. Yeah, we're, we're done with the division now. It's just everybody's, everybody's under, under Saudi Arabia. <laughs> we're, all, we're all in this together. It's not just golf, but we can point to all that. It's yeah, all that. for the kingdom. Uh, oil money certainly played a factor in the buyout for Jimbo Fisher. Uh, and we'll ask uh, Michael Bratton about who replaces him and other openings we could see across the SEC, plus Georgia, the new number one.